We have been talking about, in different sermons throughout the last few weeks, what's been called the Olivet, Jesus' Olivet Discourse, because he was on the Mount of Olives looking over at the Temple of Jerusalem and had this great discussion with his disciples. Now, you've already heard about three or four lessons on this, but it's been spread out over about six weeks because of visiting guest teachers, talking about other things. So I wanted to remind you a little bit about this whole discussion and what it was about, and then it'll lead into my part at, at the end, the great judgment scene. And then I want to tell you about how these passages, studying them over the last several months, have affected my life. So Jesus was sitting opposite the temple treasury when he began observing how many people cast money into the treasury. And it says that many who were very rich cast in out of their abundant wealth and the surplus that they had. But then one poor widow lady brought two cents, two copper coins, which amount to about a cent, and put them in the treasury. And Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, Do you see that? This poor widow woman has cast in more than all the rest because they cast in out of their abundance and their surplus. But she gave everything she had, even all that she had to live on. And then, as they were leaving the temple grounds, one of Jesus' disciples said to him, Master, look at all these great stones and these wonderful buildings. Aren't they impressive? And Jesus said, You see these great stones and these wonderful buildings? There will not be one stone that will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. And so then Jesus, going out of the temple and set over on the Mount of Olives, looking opposite the temple, looking back at it, when his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will, be all, when will all these things come to pass? And when will be the end of the age or the end of the world as we see it? Because if all these buildings are going to be thrown down, it must be the end of time. And Jesus said, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come saying, Hey, I'm the Christ. I'm God's chosen one. I'm the one that's going to tell you how to live. Follow me. I'm God's anointed. I'm God's spokesperson. And I'll show you the way. But he said, Do not believe them. For there will be coming wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. And there's going to be much trouble and tribulation. But see to it that you are not frightened. For these are merely the beginnings of birth pains. There will be much trouble and many people will betray you and turn away from you. Because when lawlessness increases, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end... Endures what? Endures and does not lose his love. In the end will be saved. This good news, what good news? That if you endure to the end and your love doesn't grow cold, that you'll be saved. This good news will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Therefore, 
When you see that which was spoken by Daniel the prophet, let the readers understand. Did you know that in the Olivet Discourse, there's about 21 references that I counted up to the book of Daniel? One of which was just that very title for God's Messiah, the Son of Man. And in that, so Jesus is really wanting his readers to understand what this what his words are all about, he's saying, remember the words and the experience of Daniel the prophet. Daniel lived through four kingdoms, and four great kings came and, and overturned one kingdom after another. And then he prophesied about four more kingdoms that would come to pass. But he said, in the midst of all these heaven or earthly kingdoms rising and falling, wars and rumors of wars, God will set up his kingdom." The ancient of days will give a kingdom to the Son of Man who will come in His glory. And He will call out of all nations those who are chosen of God. And then He says, But immediately after the days of tribulation, the powers that be, the powers on earth, the high powers, many of them will be shaken and they'll fall. And then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he'll send forth his angels with a great trumpet and gather together his chosen ones from all the four winds, all different directions from the earth. He says, now learn what the parable of the fig tree is. Do you remember that just the day before Jesus had cursed a fig tree that was bearing no fruit? There's a lesson there. But now he says, observe the signs of the times. When the, when the tender leaves sprout forth from the fig tree, you know that summer is drawing nigh. So you be ready. The point is be ready. Be prepared. Be alert. Did you know that five times in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says, be ready. Be prepared. And then he says, well, who then is a faithful servant? When the master comes, that he can put in charge this servant of all of his household, so that that person will give the other servants their food at the proper time. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions if this faithful servant is, honors God with what he is given. But then he said, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and he mistreats his fellow servants and he eats and drinks with drunkards. There he acts recklessly, irresponsibly, excessively, self-indulgently with no regard for anyone else. Then the master will come on a day when he does not expect him and he will punish him severely and assign him a place with all the other hypocrites. Why is he called a, a hypocrite? Because the unfaithful, wicked servant acts one way when the master's there, but another way when the master's gone. And there will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, what does the kingdom of God look like? What does God's kingdom look like? Well, he mentions this parable of the young maidens, five that were wise and five that were foolish. The foolish ones weren't prepared when the bridegroom came. So again, he reiterates, be alert, be ready, always be diligent doing what you're supposed to be doing. 
For you don't know the hour when the bridegroom will come. But then he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who's about to go on a journey. And he calls his servants to him. And he turns his possessions over to them. One he gives five talents, another he gives three, two talents, and another one talent. A talent was a large sum of money. And so it's like the master's saying, Here, I'm going to give you something to be in charge of. For us, it might be saying, here's $500,000, to you, $200,000. Now you deal with $100,000. And it says, the master goes on a long journey. But after some time, after a long time, the master returns to settle the accounts. Now he gives each one talents according to his ability. He doesn't assign you responsibility that you're not able to handle. But he goes on a long journey. When he returns, there's an account, a settling of the accounts. There's a day of reckoning, Jesus says. A judgment day, if you will. And to the one talent servant who didn't do anything with his, what he was entrusted with, but he, he was afraid, he said, he buried it into the ground, he said, I knew you were a hard master to please. So here it is. I gave it back to you with no increase, no production, no, uh, no produce. And then the king said to him, sorry, my slide didn't work here, but it said he called him cowardly, wicked, lazy, unprofitable, and a worthless servant. And he said, cast him out into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that brings us then to our story today. And it starts out, but... Now when does the story start out with the word but? But is a connecting word, but it's also a contrasting word. And he says, but in light of this parable of the talents or the story of these, the, this wicked and unprofitable servant, but when the Son of Man comes in all of His glory and sits on His glorious throne with His holy angels with Him, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them as a, like a shepherd might separate His sheep from His goats. And to those on His right hand, the, go, the sheep, He will say, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you. And may I add that you have been prepared for. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you took care of me. You invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you ministered unto me, and in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous, the good ones, will say, well, Lord, when did we see you in this way? And he said, as much as you have done it unto these my brethren, even the very least of them, you did it unto me. But to those on the left, the goats, he will say, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels, because you did not feed me, 
you did not minister unto to me. You did not give me to drink when I was thirsty. And they'll say, when did we see you this way? As much as you didn't do it to these others whom I love, even the very least ones, you didn't do it unto me. Then these will go away unto eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now remember, Jesus is sitting over here on the Mount of Olives. And on his right hand, he might have been, a, might have been looking at the temple where people were drawing, trying to draw close to God and do his will. On the left hand, if Jesus chose to, he could look way over here to the place that's labeled the Hinnom Valley today. You can drive past it in Jerusalem even this very day. In their day, it was called Gehenna. Gehenna is translated in the New Testament as hell. Gehenna or Hinnom Valley was where all the people of the old city of, of Jerusalem would go out and, and throw their trash. And they said that a fire continually burned their refuse day and night. And so Jesus is looking at this scene and he says to the, those who are unprofitable that don't do anything except for, to help others, he goes, you're kind of like the trash. You're of no value. You're producing nothing. You're helping no one. What did, what did you do with your life? You didn't serve me. You didn't serve my brethren. Well, that's, that's the sheep and the goat story. You might say, well, where do we go with this? I didn't know. But I've been studying that since Luke asked me uh, about two or three months ago, asked me to teach on this topic, and the words were very haunting to me. Then in February of this year, President of Russia invaded Ukraine and was killing men, women, and children in a very unjustified war. Jesus said there will come wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation and bring about much tribulation, pain, and suffering. My heart began to ache for these people as I'd watched the stories on the news. And I thought about how one day they were, kids were playing in the front yard, parents and grandparents were tending their garden in the backyard. They were meeting and living life just like any of us would be. And then the next day, they're being bombed out of their homes, and we're seeing their pictures on TV, uh, fleeing for their lives. And it's really weighing heavily on my heart. I'm really wanting to do something, but what can I do? I'm thousands of miles away and just one person, and our government's not... I mean, they're doing things, but, you know, is it enough? And I'm seeing all these scenes before us. Well, it so happens that I work out at a health club, Willowbend Fitness Center, and I'm working there one day, and some of these scenes come up while I'm on the treadmill alongside another friend named William Mays, who's a lovely Christian man, and his wife, Laura. And I'm bemoaning what's happening over there and what a tragedy is. He says, you know, there's a young man that works out in this facility that goes over to Ukraine every month to provide some help. He, I said, he does? And he goes, Yes. And that's when he introduces Ed Ma and brings him into my life. So I'm thinking about this and saying, boy, I'd really like to meet this guy and see what he's doing. 
And it turns out that Ed, who's here with us today, and I'm grateful for that, um, you'll meet him hopefully a little later. Ed lived, Ed went to the Ukraine with the Peace Corps many years ago, and after he served his time, he stayed in the Ukraine for 15 more years, married a Ukrainian woman, set up two Ukrainian businesses. He had to return by circ- uh, a change in circumstance, and he returned to the United States, and he now works at Toyota's headquarter in Plano, and he works out at the facility that I do. And so I said, I want to meet Ed. He's, uh, I hear he's taking... Uh, bulletproof vests, he's taking helmets, he's taking goggles, he's taking all this aid to protect his friends who are fighting for their lives. He's helping refugees, spending his own money helping refugees get out of the country to safety. His own little godson and his mother, he helped uh, get them out and set them up in Poland. And I met Ed and God had really put it on my heart to help too. And I just began to talk to Ed and wonder, um, is there anything I could do? Could I go, could I bring medical supplies, surgical supplies? Could I use any of the abilities that I have to help out in situations like this? And I have to admit, thinking about going over to Ukraine was a little bit scary. But I remember Jesus' words. He said, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise up. There's going to be a lot of pain and suffering in this world. But do not be afraid. When there is lawlessness, violence, and war, many people's love will grow cold. We get scared, don't we? We become selfish. We start protecting ourselves. We turn inward. But don't let your love grow cold. This will be a testimony to all nations, Jesus said. So I ask myself, what am I doing with my life? Am I a faithful servant? Or am I a wicked servant who only cares about himself and taking care of himself? And you know, I'm I'm thinking here I am going to nice dinners every night. I've got a comfortable home to go back to. Well, am I just indulging self and not willing to help other people? Am I a one-talented man who is so afraid, who's just living his life, putting his money into retirement, thinking, well, I want to have something to live on, not trusting that God will help me when I get older too. Am I just stocking my money away, serving it for myself, or is that making me a one-talented, fearful, wicked, lazy, unprofitable servant? So Jesus' words are really acting on my life and on my heart, urging me to go to see, to possibly just do something to help. Now, Daniel has scheduled six months earlier to go on a two-week vacation into the western part of the U.S. So, everybody knows that the office only runs with Daniel. So, you know, if if he's gone, it's going to stop. So, I've got two weeks of vacation, too, whether I want it or not. Well, one week I have to go to my niece's wedding, a destination wedding in Florida. What am I going to do with the other week? It begins to dawn on me, maybe I could go to Poland and see if there's some refugees that I could help. Or maybe something more. I remember meeting Ed in, a, in the coffee shop in Plano at Starbucks. I invited another doctor who had gone on some medical, medical mission trips with, Craig Hobar. And we sat in Starbucks talking to Ed about, 
And Ed's kind of like, what are, you, what are you hoping to do? What, what can you accomplish? And I said, I don't know, but I just feel like I should go. Maybe I can give services. Maybe I, you know, I'm a doctor. I could do something. Uh, maybe there's somebody who needs to be stitched up. Maybe I could bring medicine. Um, and I, you know, I told Ed, I said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I feel compelled to go, because he says, take care of others. I said, I'm a Christian. That's what motivates me. Ed, what motivates you? Are you a Christian? And he said, nah, I'm a nothing. (laughs) And I said, well, you're not a nothing. You're very significant, and the work you're doing is great. He said, I know. He said, I'm nothing religiously, necessarily. I said, I I, I got it. I got it. But um, so we talked about that. And you know, a few weeks later, I'll, I'll jump ahead in the story. A few weeks later, as I saw how Ed was helping in Ukraine and helped me to help people there too, I said, Ed, you know, you may not know it, but you're serving Jesus already. You just don't know yet that you're doing it for him, and you don't know him yet either, but you're doing a great work, and you're serving his cause. Uh, so, in appreciate, in, in, sorry, in preparation to go, Craig, t- and by the way, this is this is Ed visiting one of the bombed-out homes of, I think it was his host family over here on the right, near Kiev. So in preparation to go, Craig tells me about this office in McKinney, Mission Reagan, a Christian organization that takes in millions and millions of dollars of medical, donated medical supplies and gives it out to people, humanitarian missions uh, that need them. So I go over there to meet them, and they just load me up with all kinds of supplies. I, I lo- it was more than I could even carry over in one trip, and I think it's just me going. So we load up the most valuable things that we can, IV antibiotics, uh, pain medicine, other, uh, other things like that, into as many suitcases as I think I can get over there, and they've given me a lot more that still yet to go. But... Uh, I've decided I'm going. Maybe it's going to be by myself because Ed doesn't know if he can go. And other doctors across the country start hearing the fact that I'm going over to the Ukraine. And I start getting these calls from New York City, from Atlanta, from um, Arkansas, from Austin. People are saying, hey, I want to go, but I didn't know how to help. I don't know how to get over there. And I said, well, let, let me see. Craig, even Craig Hobar, said he would go with with Leap Global Missions. But I said, well, I don't know. This thing might just all fall apart. I don't want to waste your time. Besides, you're coming off a a mission trip to Belize. So let me go first and just make sure that it's not going to be a bust. You see, I was thinking small, but still thinking. So I'm still thinking I'm going to go alone. And I reach out to two Christian friends. Well, there's, there's Ed. You can tell Ed's been working out at, at Willowbend Fitness more than I have. But he's, that's a picture of him taking supplies. So I reach out to these other two friends, Christian friends, my brother Alex and Mark Kemp. And I say, listen, I'm going to the Ukraine. Are you guys up for an adventure? Well, first Mark says, no, I'm not going. And I say, okay, I'm still going anyway. So Mark thinks I'm going by myself. And he says, guess what? I am going to go. I can't let my old buddy Steve go over there and face this danger all by himself. And he didn't realize that Alex was already changing his schedule back in Alaska so he could meet me over there as well. 
And it turns out that the three of us are going to go. <clears throat> it, and it also turns out that Ed and his friends have purchased an ambulance that they can take over. And so he's going to meet up with us later in Poland, bringing an ambulance loaded with supplies and cross the border, and we'll be able to go together. When I thought I was going to be going just with the Lord and me. And this is great. Now we've got four and one who's seasoned traveling these roads. Well, uh, the three of us arrive in Poland, Krakow, Poland first, with our small donation of supplies. I know that my hotel is only a few blocks from Oscar Schindler's factory. Have you read the, have you seen the movie Schindler's List? You know how one man saved thousands that turned into hundreds of thousands of lives because he risked to doing something good to save some Jewish people. And ultimately, thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives have been saved because of this one man. Well, we go there and visit Oscar Schindler's factory. The next day, we're supposed to meet up that evening with Ed and have a dinner together before we cross over. But not up far outside of Krakow is Auschwitz, Birkenau, the concentration camp. What an interesting uh, contrast. One man saves thousands of lives doing good. Others doing evil destroyed 1.1 million people in that facility. What a contrast of good and evil. Well, that night we meet up, we meet up with Ed and uh, we have a dinner together. He brings along a friend. His friend, we, I love him. His name is Henry. Henry's a little bit pessimistic. We say, hey, we're thinking of going over to meeting doctors. And he goes, that'll never work. Okay. We're, we're, we think we've got an invitation into the military hospital. Oh, they'll never let you in. And I'm like, okay. Henry's a realist, but a little pessimistic. That's okay. He had a lot of good things to say and truth to tell. So we don't know. We say, we say a prayer over dinner that night saying, Lord, if we can do any good, please open up doors of opportunity. We hope we can. But, you know, if not, at least we're going to get a vacation out of it. So we, we head out the next day. I have to tell you, it was a little bit eerie going across the border into Ukraine into a potentially a war zone. And we, we go through this area called Yavoriv District. We arrive at our hotel, the Astoria Hotel, in downtown Lviv. And the next day, we can't take the trains there because the trains, I understand from uh, Ed, are dangerous and common targets of rocket attacks. So we, his friends meet us and drive us over. I try to pay them. Gas is $12 a gallon. And I try to pay them something for the gas. No, you're coming to help the people of Ukraine. It's donated. It's all free. We're happy you come. Uh, the next day, we are just inundated with meetings that have been set up by Ed and his doctor friends, Dr. Valeri and Dr. Andriana. And they introduce us to their colleagues. And so all these people are excited and anxious to meet Americans who are wanting to come over and do some good in their country. And they take me first to the children's hospital. As I'm walking into the hospital, uh, I see this little child, a little boy, a year and a half old, out in the parking lot with a cleft lip. And I said, hey, this is, this is the kind of thing we do on these mission trips. 
I meet uh, Dr. Christina. She says, why don't you come join us in surgery tomorrow? We're operating on this very child with a cleft lip and palate. And so we do. But we, we plan to do that the next day. So I get carried on to other meetings with, with all these young, passionate, energetic, good-hearted, freedom-loving people who just want to live their lives and do good. And uh, many of whom are Christians, like Dr. Rudy on the far left and Dr. Peter here. Ru- Dr. Rudy uh, runs the... Uh, runs the Christian Medical Association, which receives millions of dollars in donated supplies. And he knows all the hospitals. He can send them out to places they're needed. What a bright young man that loves the Lord. He said he, he didn't really, after he got into medical school, Luke, he said, I didn't want to be a doctor. I really w- wished I'd gone to seminary. So, uh, but, but he's in this place serving go- both God and man through his medical experience. Um, I go to the Lviv, the first emergency hospital of Lviv, and meet Oleg, who is like a 30, 35-year-old administrator of four major medical centers that are doing fabulous work, transplant surgery, major trauma, all these different kind of things. He listens to our story. We say, we don't know if we can do any good, but we've got some supplies. We just want to help if we can. He gets up from behind his desk, and he comes over and he says, if you come again, how long can you stay? And I said, uh, I, well, I, I don't know, uh, two weeks, maybe, no, no, maybe 10 days. He goes, okay, good, commit to it, and shakes my hand. And I'm like, I'm already committed to coming back for 10 days, and I haven't even been there a day yet. So, but these are, these are beautiful, good-hearted people, and they welcomed us like heroes into the country because we came with a good heart, trying to help. Dr. Christina and Dr. Julia, two pl- young plastic surgeons, the, the one on the right is still in training, but they're saying, we want to learn from you. We want to get better. We want to help our patients. Please come and help us. And, um, what a, and so the next day, I go back. I help in surgery with this little child. Here's a cleft lip repair, and uh, there's a cleft palate repair. You can't really see it, but on the Right on the inside there, there's a few stitches. And so we're able to do a few small surgeries. In the meantime, Ed is taking the ambulance over towards the front lines loaded with supplies, helmets, bulletproof vests, and other things. Alex is meeting at the uh, Emergency Mental Health Crisis Center across town with a psychologist and another psychiatrist, seeing how we can help. And they're, they're helping people with post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that. And so he's meeting with people that maybe he can help. And Mark, Mark is taking our supplies back that that arrived a day later to the colonel and chief surgeon of the Western Division of all of Ukraine. Not only did God open a door and get us into the military hospital, we, after we told him what we were there doing, he, he was glaring at me with a stern, all of us with a very stern face for the first 10 minutes. But when he finally, we checked his and passed his approval, a big smile broke out on his face. And he said he'd be happy to receive them. And he's receiving Mark and the gifts and the supplies that we brought. I tell you, I was treated like a hero. Now, you guys know me better than they do. 
you know I'm no hero. But when I, as we were getting ready to leave, you see, I think I might have skipped a few things, but they were treating us like heroes um, because I, I received this a few days after leaving and they had actually done a TV uh, report about my arrival and our, the American doctors helping their local doctors at Lviv Children's Hospital. So Dr. Peters says, you're getting famous all over the Ukraine. Don't worry, it's not going to my head. As soon as I got back home, my wife said, yeah, that's great. Here's a, a bag, go clean up the dog's poop and walk the dog. So she can bring me back to earth. Uh, but you did, you did feel awfully good in the Ukraine helping them. This was the last night that we were going to have at dinner with Ed because he's leaving the next day to take the ambulance. And uh, I want to say this because we, we were saying prayers over the meal and, and asking God to help us along the way. And uh, I started to call on Mark to pray. And Ed said, hey, Steve, would, would you mind if I said the prayer? I haven't been talking very much to God lately, and I'd like to say a word to Jesus. And, you know, he, he doesn't know the Christianese. He wasn't raised with it. But he said the most beautiful, sensitive prayer, and it really touched my heart. So he leaves the next day, and we're, we're without him. But we meet a couple of other doctors named Dr. Rudy and Dr. Peter, and we're having uh, ribs, so we ate pretty well there. They, they serve you well in, in Ukraine. And about that time, for the third or fourth time during this trip, the air raid sirens went off while we were in the restaurant. It meant rockets were being launched and they don't know exactly where they're going. So they send the word out to any place that it might go to. And the waitress comes up and says, you're going to have to leave. Uh, the sirens mean we've got to close down. You can go into the bomb shelter or you can go outside and eat. Well, the same thing happened when I was getting ready to start the surgery with these doctors. And I said, well, what do we do about this? They said, nothing. We just keep working. We just keep our mind on our work. And I said, okay. I'm going to keep my mind on my meal. So we, we went outside, we, we ate, nothing happened. But the next day, we leave the country. We cross over into Poland, and Ed sends us a report back, because he's still there. And he said, a rocket fell in the Yavarev district and injured four people. No one, thankfully, was killed right where we crossed the border. <clears throat> well... That, that was what I wanted to share with you about our trip. But I want to ask you today, what are we going to do with this? And what are we going to do with Jesus' words? How are we going to let His words affect our life? Um, I would suggest... Well, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Let me go back, because I want to share something that these people said to me. I said, we were treated like heroes. Dr. Christina said, you inspire and encourage us. We thought no one else in the world cared about us, but now we know we're not alone. Uh, Roman said, we have seen what darkness and evil look like, and you're showing us what the light looks like. Oleg said, please come back when you can stay longer. Bring others 
We want to share, collaborate, and we want to learn from you. So more than anything else, our visit inspired and encouraged them to keep going, to endure, to keep fighting, to keep supporting, to keep loving, to keep giving. And what I would like to ask of you is, what are, you, what are we going to do with our life? You and I have been given a life, we've been given time, we've been given a family, many of us, knowledge, skills, opportunities, education. Some of us have money, many have blessings, we all have blessings. Now what are we going to do with it? Are you spending your life listening to Jesus, the Lord, and the person you say is leading and the king of your life? Are you doing his will? Are you following? Are you trusting? Are you obeying? Are you living? Are you loving like he did? Always alert, always ready, always prepared to serve him and other people whom he loves. And so what I would like to ask of you today Maybe you, your passion won't be Ukraine, maybe it will. But whatever you're passionate about that is doing good in the world, please get about doing it. And maybe you'll catch the wave, catch the spirit and want to help Ukraine too. But if nothing more, I'd like to ask you to do this, and this will be a lot. Please pray as you already have been for the people of Ukraine. Pray also for the people of Russia because so many of them are just people like us going about their business, being fed propaganda, not knowing what to believe because they get no news from the outside world. Pray for them too. Jesus even said, pray for your enemies. Maybe we need to pray for Putin as well. Not that he continues in his evil ways, but God would bring about something to transform an evil heart into a heart of love and peace but at least if that doesn't happen that the evil that is perpetrated stops so pray pray for ukraine pray for russia pray for others and then think about even going a step further as we continue and can surrender our lives more and more to the will of god the lordship of jesus to take care of his brothers and his sisters in our community or around the world because as the very last verse of Daniel says, and that, well, the last point I want to make was, don't let your love grow cold. Give love, serve, minister, and endure to the end. Because Daniel 12 and verse 13 says, how blessed is he who waits patiently and endures. As for you, Daniel, go your way to the very end, the end of your life, and then you will enter into your rest and you will rise again for your allotted inheritance at the end of the age. What's your inheritance going to be? Is it going to be a kingdom prepared for you from the very foundation of the world and that you've been prepared for? Or is it going to be that destiny of the eternal trash heap, which Gehenna, where people go to who are so unprofitable, who do nothing but think about and indulge themselves without regard to their fellow man.